0: Hey friends, it's Natasha Crane. In today's episode, we're going to talk about 10 signs that the Christian authors you're following may be subtly teaching some very unbiblical ideas. So, a couple of episodes ago, I shared with you that my goal is to make brand new content for the podcast every other week. But in the middle weeks, I'm going to be sharing with you from some of my most popular blog posts over the last several years because this is content that I already have and is new to most of you anyway. So, in today's episode, I'm sharing with you from one of my most popular articles of all time. This has been shared over 30,000 times. So, I think that it resonated with a lot of people. And I hope hope that it will give you some good content to think about today as you consider what you're hearing from different influencers and Christian leaders on social media. So my friend Elisa Childers wrote a review a while back at the time when I had written this article of the really popular book Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis, and it started this firestorm of online discussion about what makes someone a quote-unquote Christian author, what responsibility a self-identified Christian author has in promoting ideas consistent with biblical faith, and what harm there can be for Christians reading books that contain non-biblical ideas. I have to say, I was so disappointed and saddened to see the kinds of comments that supporters of the book wrote in response to this review that Elisa did. They were saying things like, well, it wasn't meant to be a devotional, or she's not teaching theology, so why does it matter? Someone else said, our job is not to seek people out and hate them. And another commenter said, stop competing. Just imagine what the non-Christians think about the McJudgies. We need to focus inward because the project was within ourselves is the most important work we will accomplish. Don't use your blog to bring someone down. Unfortunately, comments like these are representative of the lack of discernment that is so common in the church today. Paulus is promoting ideas that conflict with a biblical worldview. And when there's a concern that millions of women are consuming content from a self-proclaimed Christian author that can lead them to embrace unbiblical ideas, we should absolutely be raising a warning flag and calling out for discernment in the body of Christ. This is not about becoming a McJudgy, although I find that term to be kind of funny. It's about discerning biblical truth from non-truth. It's something the Bible consistently tells us do. So with that in mind, I'm going to walk through 10 signs that the Christian authors you're following may be subtly teaching unbiblical ideas. And I say subtly because I think most people would spot a problem immediately if a Christian said they didn't believe in the Trinity. But it's just as important to identify when less obvious warning signs, like the ones I'm going to walk through, are present. So here we go. Warning sign number one. They say, I love Jesus, but... So it's become popular for writers to trumpet that they love Jesus, but fill in the blank. When you see a sentence start that way, be prepared for one of two things to follow. First, it might be something that the author knows is contrary to what Jesus would have approved of. So for example, if you Google, I love Jesus, but you'll find a whole industry of shirts and mugs and other things that say, I love Jesus, but I like to cuss. Is that really something that glorifies the God you say you love? If you have to use but as a contrasting word between loving Jesus and making a statement about what you do and or say, it's probably not something to be proud of. So when authors do this to be more likable to their audience, it's often a sign that other unbiblical ideas will follow. Another way that you will see this being used, the second scenario, is that it can be something that isn't necessarily in contrast to loving Jesus at all, but the author wants you to think they're different than the negative stereotype of Christians. For example, they'll say something like, I love Jesus, but I'll never claim I have all the answers. Implying, of course, that Christians normally claim they have all the answers. Non-believers may think Christians feel this way because Christians believe Christianity is a matter of objective truth, but that doesn't mean Christians claim to have all answers or that acceptance of objective truth is problematic. So when you hear authors do this or you read authors do this saying, I love Jesus, but a lot of times they're trying to build an affinity with their audience, but some unbiblical stuff is going to follow. The second warning sign is that they make it a point to separate a relationship with Jesus from religion. Unfortunately, this idea that Jesus somehow hates religion has become popular even amongst Christians who otherwise hold biblically solid beliefs. Now, if Jesus truly hated religion, the popularity of this idea wouldn't be an issue. The problem is that Jesus doesn't hate religion. He hates false religion. Now, I spend a whole chapter on explaining this in my book talking with your kids about Jesus, so if this is something that you're not sure about, I would refer you to that and check out the chapter in the second part of the book on this. But the bottom line is that there's no need to separate Jesus from religion that is true. Christianity is simply the name for the religion whose set of beliefs center on who Jesus is, and that calls us to know, worship, serve, and obey him. In other words, you might say Christianity is a religion that's centered on relationship. So when authors start writing negatively about quote-unquote organized religion in general and place that in opposition to their own personal relationship with Jesus, it's often because they're going to either challenge the idea of objective truth, suggesting that uniform religious belief found in organized religion is bad, or they're going to value their personal spiritual insights over God's revelation to humankind through the Bible. In other words, personal experience becomes authority. As James one twenty seven says, true religion glorifies God. It's not something that Christians should denounce. Here's the third warning sign. There's a lot of talk about authenticity and messiness. So, authenticity simply means honesty, and at first blush, it doesn't sound like that has anything to do with the Bible. If anything, it seems like it should go hand in hand with the Bible. However, in practice, authors who emphasize how messy their lives are and how authentic they're going to be with you about that messiness often use the opportunity to normalize sin in some way. As with several of these points, that is not always the case. Some authors who speak in these terms use it as an opportunity to point back to God, but I've seen it go the other way more often than not, so this one has to make the list. Warning sign number four. They promote the value of questions over the value of answers. This is a really big one. I see this all the time. This is an approach to quote unquote spirituality that's become trendy where you focus more on raising questions about faith than sharing biblically sound answers. Authors who identify as progressive Christians sometimes go so far as to accuse other Christians of being afraid of questions and look skeptically upon anyone who attempts to even answer the questions that they raise. Now, if you have read my blog for any amount of time or my books, you know I'm all about raising tough faith questions. Questions are extremely important, but questions also need to be addressed to the extent we can given what the Bible tells us. People who value questions more than answers are often uncomfortable with the idea of objective truth, that there is a truth independent of our personal experience. Everything Jesus taught assumed that there is truth independent of our personal experience and that he is that truth. So if an author is uncomfortable with the idea of objective truth, they're also uncomfortable with Jesus. Warning sign number five, they confuse uncontroversial statements with moral positions. Now, that sounds a bit like a a mouthful, so let me give you an example. An extremely popular author wrote on her Facebook page recently that she wanted to make it very clear where she stands on social issues. Getting clear on these things included making a completely uncontroversial statement for any Christian. She said, she quote unquote, cherishes the humanity of the LGBT community. All Christians should cherish the humanity of every community because we're all made in the image of God. That's never been a question. But of course, she said this implying that anyone who holds to a biblical view of marriage somehow does not cherish the humanity of the LGBT community. It's a very misleading move to make a statement that no Christian should disagree with in order to suggest it's something that those who take a different moral position than the author on would disagree with. So watch for this. It's a very slick move, and it's something that you see authors do a lot of times. Warning sign number six. They focus almost entirely on Christian action to the exclusion of belief. Someone recently told me that people in his denomination don't value apologetics. In other words, why there's good reason to believe Christianity is true. Because their apologetics are in their actions. This attitude effectively is what you see with many popular Christian authors today, even when they say nothing about apologetics specifically. For them, Christianity is all about what you do in the world. It's no longer about believing in Jesus as Lord and coming to a saving knowledge of Him. This kind of Christianity is hardly different than secular humanism. It just comes with a fond but relatively mild appreciation for Jesus on top, like a candied cherry on a Sunday of good works that can easily be removed. But the Bible is clear that belief matters in an eternally significant way. If you want to read more about that, there's an article on my site called Is How We Live More Important Than What We Believe? And I will link to that in the show notes. Warning sign number seven, they use the word faith to mean some kind of unbounded belief system about God. One best-selling Christian author shared the following quote on social media recently. She said this, faith is not a belief. Faith is what is left when your beliefs have all been blown to hell. This very sadly was met with thousands of likes, loves, and shares. It's also a biblically inaccurate definition of faith. Please understand, friends, the Bible does not present faith as blind belief or as believing in spite of evidence. The Bible repeatedly shows that faith is believing in what you have good reason to believe is true. Contrary to what this author said, biblical faith is not the broken pieces that remain when you've lost a bunch of other beliefs. Anytime you see an author promoting an inaccurate idea of faith, it should be a warning flag. Warning sign number eight, they regularly encourage you to, quote unquote, be true to yourself. If you frequently hear from an author that you need to be true to yourself, you can bet they're on shaky theological ground. As my young daughter once said when I asked if she thought people should be true to themselves, you shouldn't always be true to yourself because if you want to be a murderer, that would be really wrong. That's just the basic logic when you extend the idea to its natural conclusions. So simply put, this kind of pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstrap secular wisdom is just that. It's very secular. It shouldn't be very inspirational to be more true to yourself if you really think about that. As Christians, we should be inspired to be less like our sinful nature and more like Jesus. Warning sign number nine. They treat judging others as the ultimate sin. For a lot of people today, the ultimate sin is judging another. But Jesus doesn't tell us not to judge. He tells us not to hypocritically judge and to judge with right judgment. For example, you can see John 7, 24. We have to be discerning. Discerning between truth and non-truth doesn't mean you're spiritually condemning another person as people so often believe. There's a huge difference between discernment and condemnation. We are called to discern. We are not called to condemn when condemn means to pass a final sentence on someone's life. Only God has that authority. And only God knows the human heart. We are definitely not called to determine whether someone else is saved. But we sure can and should address what the Bible says about right belief and right action. That is discernment. So if you're following someone who says things like, hey, don't stick around if you want to judge others, or our job isn't to judge, it's to love, or hey, this is a judgment-free zone. Steer clear. It likely means something very different than what you think. And finally, warning sign number 10. They make claims about what it means to love others without addressing what it means to love God. So when we follow the greatest commandment, to love God, it informs what it means to follow the second greatest commandment, which is to love others. It's not up to us to define the word. There are many authors who identify themselves as Christians today who champion unbiblical ideas of what it means to love others, and it's rooted in ignorance of the commandment to first love God. I saw one such author recently say that Christians are unloving for being opposed to abortion, for example. But when we first love God and understand that we are made in His image, and every human therefore has extraordinary value, we simply can't conclude that loving others means allowing them to take the life of an unborn child. There are all kinds of other warning signs I'm sure that we could come up with, but these 10 are ones I have seen over and over and over again in the last few years. It's incredibly important for us to be vigilant today. Test everything, as the Bible says, hold fast to what is good and true. Hey, if you guys have been enjoying the podcast, I know it's still really new, but if you've been finding it valuable, would you do me a favor and just help me spread the word about it? Take a minute and just share with your friends, send them an email, put it on social media, send somebody a text message, just help me get the word out and say, hey, check out this podcast, it's something I'm enjoying. And if you could, leave a review on Apple Podcasts if that's a platform you're using, I would hugely appreciate that as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen and I will talk with you soon.